So if you have your Bible with you, would you open it up to John chapter 11, please? It's page 748. If you're using the Bible that looks like this one, uh, and if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take the one that looks like this. That's our gift to you. We are certainly not above bribing you to come back, and, uh, and so please, that's, that's a gift. Uh, also, you'll find these verses and notes at the Bible app. Actually, if you have the Bible app on your smart device, um, not only will you find John 11 there, if you go to the events tab, you'll find us there as well with all the notes from the, the handout uh, and all the verses and everything right there for you. So if that's handy. Uh, if this is your first Sunday with us, thanks for being at MCC today. Glad that you're here. We are finishing a series today called Hey Siri. Does I just, just to make sure, does everybody know who Siri is? Is everybody good that she's the voice on the iPhone that you can ask? So here's what I'm wondering, a little poll today. How many of you have ever asked Siri a question? You said, hey, Siri, and, you know, uh, how many of you have ever asked your phone to dial a number for you? You said, hey, Siri, you know, call my wife, call my husband, you know, and, you know, she did. Oh, are you, have you ever used the voice text uh, feature of your phone? Hey, Siri, text Sandy, and then, you know, she says, what do you want to say to her? And you start to tell her, and you get about halfway through, she cuts you off and messes your message up or misspells words or says something entirely different <laughs> to what you were just saying. How many of you have asked you're in a, in a new place and you don't know where, you know, you're trying to find some place to eat, you're hungry, you don't know where it is, you've asked for a restaurant? Anybody? Okay, so a few. All right. How many of you have asked Siri to marry you? <laughs> yeah, me either. Um, except this morning... <laughs> When I asked her, she said, uh, she said, that's strange. I've been getting that request a lot lately. I, I thought it was you uh, who was asking her to do that. So, uh, but that's what we're doing. We're asking questions. And the first week, you know, especially with Easter looming, uh, the first week we asked why Jesus, you know, why is he the one to follow? Why is he the one I should give my life to? And we, when there's so many other options out there. Uh, so we talked about that. And, and last week uh, we talked about why should we worship? Is it really a big deal? And what's it's supposed to look like and, and what are we allowed to do or not do and how often should we? And so if you missed either of those, I want to encourage you to go to our website and check those out. Um, uh, but this morning, uh, we're going to answer a question that one, many of us, if not most of us uh, uh, who are Jesus followers, um, ask, especially at Easter and Christmas time, we ask this question. And the question is, why should I risk inviting my neighbor uh, to come to church with me. Now, we know that studies show that there are two times a year that people are more open to Jesus and his story and the idea of him uh, and actually in accepting an invitation to go to worship with a friend of theirs. If they're asked, they're open to accepting invitation two times a year. Those two times of year are... Christmas and Easter. Right, right, right. And to be clear, just so you know, we do our very best to make it as easy as possible for you to invite. So uh, I don't know if you've noticed this table right over here on the side of the room. Uh, we've got things for you to give your friends. These are mugs. Oh, and to be, uh, just so you know, uh, these are the one thing that costs something. These are $6. And, and, uh, but we, I, I want to encourage you. I'm going to be taking some and giving them to my friends I've invited, filling them with uh, candy. And I'll put one of these cards in there. So even if you don't get the mug, take these cards, take a handful of these sleeves. These are coffee sleeves. Just take them with you. Buy your friend or your neighbor or whoever, buy them a cup of coffee, slide this on it and give it to them. And if I take them, take these to work, put them in your break room, buy the coffee cups. 
I know. Go to Starbucks and when they're not looking. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, and the, uh, uh, the motto in our family is be good. And if you can't be good, don't get caught. So just, you know, take that for what it's worth. Uh, listen, here's, listen, the, the, something else that we've done is next week we've added another service. So on Saturday night at 530, we have a service because we know some people will be traveling on Sunday morning, can't be here for Easter Sunday morning, but they want to be in an Easter service. So we've got that. Or maybe you're coming and serving Sunday morning and you want to go to worship, but you've got family coming. And so we've Saturday night is for you to come so that you can then serve on Sunday morning and get out of here as quickly as you possibly can. Um, but we're doing that. So, uh, so that people, right, have this opportunity. We want to make it as open as we can. So certainly people being more open to the story of Jesus and the idea of going to church, if someone will invite them, right, we want to make it as easy as possible. But even knowing it's one of the two easiest days of the year isn't why we ask, okay? Uh, so this morning I want to remind you of why you should risk your friend saying no to you. I want to remind you of why uh, you should risk your friend, your family member, your coworker, the person you go to school with thinking you're a weirdo or giving you the look that you give Jehovah Witnesses when they knock on your door, right? I want to let you know why you should risk all of those things by inviting them to come with you next week. So to answer that, we're going to look at a story from Jesus's life. It's in John chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking through that. We're not going to read all of it. I'll tell you some of it. That's why I want you to have your Bibles open so you can follow along and make sure I'm telling you straight. So here we go. Beginning in John chapter 11, verse 1, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, by the way, is the same Mary. Her brother Lazarus is sick. She's the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and then wiped his feet um, with her hair. So the sisters... Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus, and the note said, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Nope, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, during this time in Jesus' life, uh, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany. It's a small village. Mary and Martha, his sisters lived there as well. Those names may be familiar to you. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are not just three friends of Jesus. They're very close friends of Jesus. So when Jesus is in this vicinity, he stops in. He at least visits, if not stays with them. This is just days before his crucifixion. Jesus is going into Jerusalem. And so he stays with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. As a matter of fact, verse 2, John says... This Mary is the one who poured perfume on the Lord, which is interesting. This hasn't happened yet. I mean, in his gospel, he hasn't told this story yet. What that means is the people reading the gospel of John, the people he's writing this story down for already know this story because they would read this a chapter before he even writes about it. And they would go, oh yeah, I know that chick. I remember he- right? I remember hearing uh, that story uh, about her. And so uh, they know who these friends are. And here's the deal. You know who they are too, because you have friends just like them. Friends that you could call in the middle of the night. They would think nothing of it. If you needed help, man, they would drop whatever they're doing. They would leave work. They would would just stop and it would not be an inconvenience. It's not an imposition. They, They would just do anything to help you. And that's what happens here. Mary and Martha send Jesus this note, the word that says, the one you love 
is sick. Which, by the way, is the very first thing in your notes. Uh, the first reason it's, it's worth it to risk inviting your friends is because everyone dies. To which someone in here who's never heard this story has to be going, oh, ho, 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 it says sick. Doesn't say dead, all right? Uh, when you read this story, you find out that not only is Lazarus sick, but verse 14 says that he actually has died. And to be clear, the sisters would not have bothered Jesus with a head cold or the flu. They have exhausted everything at their disposal. It is impossible to heal him. So they send for the only one they know who can do the impossible because they've seen him do it before. They've heard him tell stories. They know he's the one they need. But for us, we need to know that the reason we risk is because everyone that we know of already has or is going to die. Okay, just run that through your mind for a moment. See if it's true. I don't want you to think I'm selling you a bill of goods. Everyone you've ever heard of has died or one day is going to die, all right? Death is a part of life. But we really, most of us do not like to think about death. Even me just saying the word death so many times, there's someone twitching in the room because I'm saying that so many times. I've been at funerals where people don't want to talk about death even at the funeral. And here's what's interesting. Adam mentioned earlier, this is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday that we celebrate that Jesus goes into Jerusalem and people are waving palm branches or they're laying them on the ground and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? And he's in Jerusalem for a very specific purpose. Do you know what's going to happen that Friday? He rides in at the beginning of the week and on Friday, what happens? He's crucified. He dies. And we still don't want to talk about death, right? Uh, listen, Woody Allen, maybe you're like Woody Allen. He said, I'm, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens, right? Maybe you're like that. Or maybe you're like one of the three buddies who died in a car crash and instantly they arrive in heaven for ordination, which is a very biblical concept, ordination uh, when you arrive at heaven. And they're asked, when, when your family and loved ones are looking at you lying in the casket, what do you want to hear them say? And the first guy thought about it for a minute and he said, you know, I think I, think I want to hear them say, he was a generous guy. And the second guy said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want him to say that and I want them to say, and he sure loved his wife. He was a great husband. He was a super father. And the third guy took a little longer to respond and finally he said, you know, when they're standing around staring at my body, I think I want him to say, Hey, look, I think he's moving. Uh, (laughs) Ecclesiastes 3 says, there's a time for everything. There's a season for every activity under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to what? I'm sorry, a time to what? To die. We still don't want to say it, right? Hebrews 9 says everyone must die once, right? And then they will be judged by God. That's because death is a reality, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, right? Every hour, 6,316 people die. That number has not changed for years. That is just every second, almost two people. Every second, almost two people in the United States die. I like how George Bernard Shaw said it. He said, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. So, Having said that, there's a better than even chance you and I are both going to die someday, right? It's going to happen. Now, while we may want, not want to think about it or talk about it, none of that is shocking information. I didn't just catch anybody off guard with that, right? We all recognize that is part of life. 
But that alone is not why we risk telling our friends. So back to our story. It's interesting when Jesus receives word that Lazarus is sick, he did not leave immediately. He waits two days. Verse 17 says on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, which indicates that most likely Lazarus died the day Jesus received the information uh, because he was one day away. And then Lazarus would have been buried on the day of his death because in the first century in Israel, that was custom because of the climate. Uh, And the funeral was followed by seven days of deep mourning, of which the first three were weeping. And then following the seven days of deep mourning, there would have been 30 days of light mourning. So verse 19 says that many people came to mourn with Mary and Martha, which is what you would expect to find because people in that day considered it a sacred duty to come and stand alongside and mourn with those who have lost a family member or a friend. Verse 20 says that before Jesus arrived, when Martha heard she was coming, she ran off to where he was to meet him. And in verse 21, she says, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be doing this. But here's what I know. Even now, four days later, if you just ask, God will give you, he'll give you anything you ask for. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know, I know he will at the resurrection at the last day. It's not what I'm asking for, but I know that that's true. Which, by the way, is the next thing on your notes. Uh, It's another reason uh, it's important to risk asking your friends because death isn't fatal for everyone. Death is not fatal for everyone. It's what Martha just said, the resurrection at the last day. Did you know that in America, according to a 2015 research from the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life, found that 74% of Americans believe there's a place called heaven, and 59% of us believe there's a place called hell. Isn't that interesting? I want to make something very clear. I had you write those on your notes for uh, an important reason. Jesus never taught that there was only one side to eternity. Jesus taught, so I'm going to ask you to circle this word, circle the word heaven and circle the word hell. Because Jesus taught that both of those are reality. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Heard about a daughter from a very conservative family who came home after a date in tears and her mom asked her what was wrong. She said the wedding is off. Bill said he was a Christian, but he does not believe in hell. Her mom said, you go ahead and marry him, honey. We'll prove to him there's a hell. Listen. Some people have an interesting idea of what hell is going to be like. Uh, They believe hell is going to be a big party. I mean, why wouldn't it be? There's no rules. There's no Bibles. There's no Christians. uh, There's no restraints, right? It's going to be a big party. Mark Twain actually said it's heaven for the climate and hell for the company, which is, is interesting and humorous. Absolutely not true. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do nothing else. Let me show you who you need to be afraid of. You fear the one who, after killing the body, has the power to throw you into hell. I'm telling you, 
That's who you need to be afraid of. And then the Bible goes on when describing hell to use words like eternal fire and lake of fire and darkest black, blackest darkness and fiery furnace and everlasting destruction. Jesus, when he talks about hell, says it's a place where there is weeping and the, the grinding of teeth. It's this place of emotional suffering and relational suffering and physical suffering and spiritual suffering. And Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. And I would believe in hell if the Bible only talked about it once, but it doesn't. Talks about hell over 50 times. And the idea isn't to scare the hell out of you. The idea is to scare the you out of hell. That's what we're working on. Listen, Paul writes this in 2 Thessalonians. He says, Then he will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the good news about our Lord Jesus Christ. Those people will be punished with a destruction that continues forever. They will be kept away from the Lord and from his great power. Because Jesus believes in hell, that's good enough for me. But if you need more, think about this question. Why did Jesus come to earth to save us unless there was something he was saving us from? Why would he leave heaven? If you read scripture, he's adored. He's worshiped in heaven. They love him there. When he came here, they mocked him and spit on him and crucified him. Why would he leave heaven to come here to endure that? Unless there's a reason for him to do it. Would a just God call us to service and sacrifice and holiness and even a martyr's death? Because not just centuries ago, today in our world, people die because of their faith. And it's horrible. It's a heinous death that some suffer. How could a holy God call us to that and then just casually reward everyone the same, whether they accepted his offer or not. Somebody said, if there is no hell, then Calvary was a tragic mistake. The reason the gospel is such good news is because the eternal punishment of hell is such bad news. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 25, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And I wish I'd had space to put this on your notes so that you could take this home and just stare at it. Because I want to make sure that you do not think that I'm saying that people go to heaven, people going to heaven get what they deserve, and people going to hell get what they deserve. Because none of us deserve heaven. We've all sinned. We've all blown it. We all deserve hell. But God makes this free gift available to everyone who looks for forgiveness and eternal life. And when people refuse to accept that gift, it makes sense that God is not going to force it on them. God does not make those who do not love him and serve him. And he doesn't make them accept his offer. Instead, they get to receive the punishment that they could have avoided. Let's know what Jesus said in John chapter 11. I John chapter uh, 14, I share these verses at every funeral that I can. Jesus is talking to his followers. It's the night before he's to be crucified. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust God. 
trust me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm getting ready. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. I love how the message version says this. And if I'm on my way to get your room ready, I'm going to come back and you can go and get you so that you can live where I am. And Jesus' promise is for everyone who has surrendered to him. Everyone. Which, by the way, in the unbearable moments of life, This promise that this isn't it, this isn't all there is, sometimes it makes those unbearable moments a little more bearable, right? It's this, it's this that makes life meaningful. And this is not some religious deception so that you can sleep better at night. This is not some fairy tale that we tell kids so that they act right. And, and, you know, it's the assurance of God. And Jesus rose from the dead on the day that we call Easter. We celebrate it next week. He did that to prove all of this is true. Which, by the way, on your notes, this is why it's worth it to risk inviting your friend because I'm going to choose one or the other in my lifetime. Not only are both realities true, I actually get to make the decision. I choose what I'm going to do. Look at our verses again. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So I've been asked this question. How can you believe that a, that a loving God will send people to hell. Have you ever been asked that question? I mean, that is a great question. Here it is. The short answer, in case you're wanting it, the short answer is we don't believe that. What we believe is in spite of our sin and spiritual rebelliousness, hell was never God's plan for us. As a matter of fact, John 3 says, God loves the world so much that he gave his only son so that Anyone, everyone, whoever believes in him, it's open to everyone. Whoever believes in him may not die, but have eternal life. The very next verse says God didn't send Jesus into the world to be the judge. He sent Jesus into the world to be the savior. And when Peter is talking, so people that Peter's working with say, I thought you said Jesus was coming back. What's taking him so long? Why is he waiting? What's the deal? And Peter answers, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. See, the truth is that God loves each one of us. And he does want everyone to come to believe in him. And he wants everyone to live with him, to accept him and live with him forever. He deeply desires that everyone will repent of their sins and follow him. He does not want anyone to live in hell. He doesn't want anyone to live in hell. But what he realizes is that not everyone is going to choose to accept his offer. Bruce Shelley wrote this, God loves us, but he does not force his love on us. So when someone you know, uh, or maybe it's you, maybe you're the one who has asked this question, how can God send good people to hell? If he's really this God of love, why would he do that? I hope this, I want you to remember this. God does not send people to hell. He he does not send people to hell. If someone goes to hell, it's not because of what God has done. It's in spite of everything he's done. He has put the brakes, he's put warning signs up. He's put everything in your way to possibly stop you that he knows how to do. 
If you go to hell or a friend of yours goes to hell, it's not because he's sending you. It's because you're acting in spite of everything he's done for you. The reason it's so important for you to invite your friend who has never made a commitment to Jesus before is that they have as many opportunities as possible to hear or see or experience something that will help them do so. Because if we don't, we will be separated from them forever. Forever. It doesn't end. Brian Jones wrote this. He's talking about those who are followers of Jesus who will not share their faith with their friends. He said, you, this is on your notes. I hope this bothers you like it bothers me. You either don't believe in hell or you don't care that your friends will go there when they die. There is no middle ground. You either don't believe what we're talking about or you don't care. That's it. There's nothing else. Those are the only two options available to us. We either tell our friends or we don't believe it or we don't care. It makes reaching our, listen, it makes us be serious about reaching our friends, our family members who do not know Jesus will go to hell without him. And God just can't hardly stand the thought of the people that you care most about being separated from you and him for all of eternity. Because as much as you care for them, he cares more. He loves them more than you do. Listen, I hope that you're taking advantage of one of the two easiest days of the year to invite your friends. Our leaders here have been praying for you. Our elders, our staff, our deacons. We got together this past week. Our elders and deacons got together, and we prayed for the people that we're inviting to come. But this morning is not just about your friends. There are people who are here this morning who have never made a commitment to Jesus. You come to church, you you believe this stuff, but you have let something keep you from responding the way you know you need to respond. Please, stop. Stop doing that. Don't let anything get between you and Jesus. Every time someone is baptized, you hear words very similar to what Peter says in Acts chapter 2. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I just, please hear this. Going to church doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Yeah, give it up for Jesus. It's church, you know. We help people make this decision any day of the week they want. You don't have to do it in front of everybody. You don't have to do it in a service on Sunday morning. Any day of the week, any hour of the day, we will help you with this. As a matter of fact, on the bottom of your note or handout, there's this connection card. If you still have this and you are who I was just talking about and you've been sitting there and you know you need to do something and you've never done it, would you put your name and your contact information on there and give that to me this morning? I'm just going to stay right up here this morning when we're done. If you'll just bring that up to me, I will contact you. Let's make this happen. And on Sunday night, April 23rd, we're having a night of worship and baptism. So we're going to come sing like nobody's business. And there will be people who will be baptized that night. And so if it's helpful to you to have other people making the same decision that you are, if that's what helps you, 
That's what we're doing. Come and see me. You can see me this morning. You can call me this week. Please don't put this off any longer. That's I'm going to ask that you would stand. We're going to look at a blessing that Moses gave to the people of Israel. Because just as surely as God said it to them, I think he says it to us here as well. Moses told the Israelites, I am now giving you the choice between life and death. Between God's blessing and God's curse. And I call heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Please, choose life. Please choose life. Do not leave here this morning if you haven't. There's a blessing if you do. There is a curse if you don't. Please choose life. So this morning... I want to send you out with that, with this. If you've never made this commitment, let's do it. Today's the day. The baptistry's warm. We're good to go. We've got towels. We've got the whole thing. Let's do it. And this week, listen, this table is set up over here because your friends, their eternity, and if you're wondering if they're worth taking a chance, if you're wondering if they're worth six bucks, It's the eternity we're talking about. Help your friend know Jesus, at least to take a step in the right direction with him. This week, the whole world is more open to being changed by the name of Jesus than any other week except one. Let's take advantage of it. Let's pray. God, thank you for the chance that we have to wear your name and for those of us who have been in this room, we just we, we get to hear from your word. We get to sing songs to you. Every week we come and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. And sometimes because we do that every week, the sound, it's like it can be muted. The volume is turned down. And God, today we just want to turn it right back up. We want to turn it up as loud as it can be in our own ears. And we want to make it, we want to make it so everybody hears this. Because, God, there isn't anyone on the face of the earth that you don't love with the life of your son. And so help us reach out in his name as well. And for those of us who are in the room this morning who have never made the decision to be baptized into your name, who have never made that promise in the baptistry to your son, God, may this be the day. Use us to change the world. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.